Good morning, church. Very lovely. Takes me back. Um, yeah, it's a real honor uh, to be able to uh, preach this morning. And I'm, yeah, like Tara said, I am. Um, yeah, I feel like this is a message for this time. Um, and I'm very excited. And I also just want to acknowledge that I understand it's been a tough week uh, for so many. Um, and I think God's speaking into that toughness. Something I love about Jesus is that he's not always just saying, don't worry, we'll get there. But he enters into what is going on right now. And we can learn something uh, in this space. And so uh, in that, I've um, gone to Matthew 14, 22 to 34, uh, 36, sorry. Um, and I'll just read this to get us started. Um, and it goes like this, says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking out on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. So... This morning, um, I've titled my message, Hold On, Don't Let Go. Um, and I feel, I feel like God has uh, placed or pressed this message on my heart, and I'm not one to normally say that. Uh, I love, uh, through Bible college, I learned to love to go in the scriptures, scriptures, get the context, and learn to enter into that time and see what it can say to this time. Uh, so I always just loved going out about this, but I experienced a weird moment where this has been a really tough year for me. Uh, in a moment of honesty, like it's been a really tough year and I came to a day recently um, where I was in church and it had just been like one of the, uh, not on a Sunday, on a Thursday and it would have been one of the worst days um, that I've ever experienced and I just sort of said jokingly to God, I was like, oh God, if one more bad thing happens today, I'm just going to cry. That's just what I'm going to do because I don't know how else to, ex- uh, I don't know what else to do. Um, so then, um, uh, not kidding, as soon as that I said that, a bad thing happened and so I just walked into the middle of the church. I just sat down and I just started to cry. And I was like, this is absolutely horrible. Um, I have felt so much that uh, I'm stepping into what God is calling me into this year, but I don't feel necessarily right now or when I was in that place that that is where God is calling me to, but it's what I'm going through. Um, and it feels weird because you're like, God, I'm doing what you've called me to do, but 
I'm in a place where it's not a testament of like I've, I've uh, arrived. I feel within me that I'm not where you've called me to or maybe I am, but I just don't know where you are. Um, and that is a scary question. Where are you? Um, when it feels like you're following God, um, questioning where he is is scary. Not just, you know, it's easy to sometimes be like, I'm not following what God's calling me to do and that's why things are tough. But when you feel like you're stepping out to what God's calling you to and things are rough, that's when everything in life starts to get questioned. And this scripture is really powerful for so many reasons because Matthew, uh, in Matthew, the church at that time has experienced massive persecution. Um, and this story speaks to that fear. It speaks to um, Peter and the struggle we have as personal believers between jumping from faith and doubt. Um, and I believe so much that I think this scripture speaks to where the church is at right now. Um, and I, so this message is a place from hopelessness. Um, I've always heard preachers say, oh, God, place this on my uh, heart. And, you know, some of those messages are absolutely great. And it's weird that I felt like in the good times of life, that's when God would place a message on my heart. But it was in the worst of times that God has placed a message on my heart. Um, and that's, funnily enough, so much how God works so much of the times that when we are empty is when God can speak something fulfilling. So I'm hoping this morning that this will be a message of encouragement, uh, that where we are right now can testify to how good God is and what he will see us through. Because um, while it's been a tough year for me, it's also been a very tough year for this church. Um, and Debbie and Tara and all the staff and board members can testify to that. Um, and I think it's important to realize that uh, it's storm season, <laughs> you know. Um, you know those TV shows where they're just chasing storms. It feels like this is what that this church is just doing that all the time. We're just chasing hurricanes. We're chasing storms. Um, so I thought I'd, funnily enough, um, before uh, God spoke this scripture to me, and I didn't know um, what I was going to do with it. Then that night happened, and I found uh, this song that I'd never found before. And God spoke to me through that song and into me in that moment. And I was, then the, where the church was at, I was like, God, this is just for right now. Um, so I am excited. Um, and I've never entered into this sort of style of message before. So I'm nervous, but more excited than nervous. Um, so yeah. Um, if we get into the story today, let's see what God uh, can be speaking into this church, into you personally. Um, and to what was going on at that time. Uh, so we'll start off with, the scripture says immediately after this. It's always important to know what's come before the story you're reading. The Bible isn't just brick, brick, brick sort of thing. Um, they've just come out of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, over 5,000 if you uh, include the women and children. And this is an awesome miracle because uh, Jesus had compassion on a whole group of people. He healed them. Uh, and Jesus saw something within the crowd where he didn't need to send people to get fed but he saw something that was enough there. And suddenly they, the disciples got to see this world where uh, everyone had enough. But not only was there enough, there was more than enough because there was able for leftovers. And so the disciples, before they enter the boat, have this reality. They have this picture of what this world could look like if Jesus was king. But the interesting thing about that is Jesus doesn't let them get caught up in that. Because he says immediately after this, Jesus insisted they get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. 
And if we go to the John's Gospel and see this account, this is when they say they push for Jesus to be king. So why is it that Jesus in this moment when five, over 5,000 people are saying we can see you as king are telling his disciples to leave? And I think it's because the crowd's agenda of Jesus being king isn't his agenda in this moment. Jesus is going to be king of this world and everyone in it, but not yet. He's got some things to do. And I think we can sometimes get caught up into the wrong agenda. Jesus can call us to things that sometimes don't make sense. It's like everything's going well and God's like, step out to this new thing. It's like, it's going great. Why, why would we step out right now? This makes no logical sense. Why would we leave? But Jesus' agenda is true and it is always for a purpose. And the disciples are obedient. They don't say no. They don't say, but, but, but. They, they listen, which is like incredible for them to do that. And the word insisted here Insisted sounds too polite because from the commentaries I've read, it's more likely that it translates to compels or forced. So like Jesus seems like that really sincere guy who's not too pushy, but right now he's like, no, get in the boat. Like he's really like, leave. Like, so if you have any question on the disciples had a choice here, this was a moment where Jesus was like, no, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to enter into. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there. And it, time is so important in the Bible. Sometimes the stories are so short that we can miss the weight of actually what's happening because it is so quick. But for it to say that night fell while Jesus went up to the hill by himself to pray is giving you this time, this sense that time is passing like quite a lot of it. Uh, quite a few hours are going by. If it's light, then it's dark. That usually happens over quite a bit of a time. And... Um, we need to realize that, that this is over several hours because then it goes to, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And this is funny because they, they've done exactly what Jesus has asked them to do. They're being obedient and suddenly they're in a position where they're fighting something that they didn't expect to fight. They're going through something they didn't want to go through. Um... And they're doing the right thing. And that's the difficult thing to comprehend here is how is this in a basic sense fair? You know? And they've been through storms before. If you go to Matthew 8, they went through a storm with Jesus. But the difference was he was there. And it's easy when you're going through something and it feels like Jesus is just so easily there because you're like, God, you know, like, help me out right now. Like, what's going on? But this is... Uh, the terminology here is they are so far in the middle of this lake that there is no way out. So their choice isn't to paddle to the side and stop while the storm's going on. They have no choice. They have to go through what they're going through. Um, and, and can you just imagine this happening to you? Or, or maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe directly following God, you felt so like, God, you are calling me to this. It, this is amazing. I've never thought of this before. Like, I'm so excited to step into this. And then you end up here. And it's like, what the heck is going on right now? Like, I've obeyed what you've said. We're doing what you've commanded. And now we're in something that it feels like you're not here. Where are you? Um, and so the disciples, like, this would be tremendously difficult because, like, they've, they've been fighting for a while. Like, a while. Um, and... 
this is where on, uh, at Youth on Friday we, entered, uh, we watched a video from the Bible Project on Job, um, which Job's a confronting story, um, especially for teenagers. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it ever stops. Um, but we talked about um, Job and how it would be easy and lovely if God's ju- uh, system of justice and fairness was you do good, you get good. You listen, good things happen. Bad, you do bad, bad things happen. Because that's an easy way to rationalize God. But God's ways are so much more complicated, unfortunately, that we think sometimes storms are always a result of not listening to what God's commanded you to do. But it's so important to realize, and especially for the church in this moment, a storm is not a testament we are doing the wrong thing. You entering into something bad does not mean you are in the wrong place. Like, if you look at the early church, man, they went through some stuff. And that's what glory, like, ultimately looks like when you follow Jesus sometimes. We talk about the cross. It's like, that's where God's glory was ultimately revealed when our Savior was tortured. Bringing glory to God doesn't always look nice. It looks messy. It looks painful. And so much more than ever, this makes me confident in the direction we're heading in. It's because storms aren't always a sign we are doing the wrong thing. And it says about three o'clock in the morning. And I feel like any verse that starts off with three in the morning is just starting in a really bad place. Like, you know, I've heard stories of people saying, God's woken me up at three. I'm like, well, like something's wrong with God. You know, just let me wake up at eight or something. But um, this gives you an indication if it's three, it's between three and six in the morning here. And if Jesus went up to the hills when it was still light, They've been there for a long time. They've been on, uh, in the lake. They've been fighting the wind and the waves for a lot of hours now. And they're exhausted. They're scared. They're hopeless. And like boats in those times are not easy to get forward. You've got to continuously bail so the water doesn't fill up the boat. And so getting the boat forward is not easy in good conditions, let alone when the wind is strong and the waves are heavy. So they're probably gaining no progress. The end looks nowhere in sight. And everything around them just looks terrifying. And and then it says, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once saying, don't be afraid. I am here. Now, I've heard some messages like bashing on the disciples for this, but like, this makes complete sense. Uh, this, is like, this is a truly scary moment because the sea in those times was a force of evil. So the sea was something truly scary. And it wasn't just the ocean, because I find the ocean when it's a storm genuinely scary, but there was so much more to it for them. It was a force of evil against God. So when everything is around them, they just feel surrounded by evil itself. And then when they see something that doesn't make sense, walk out onto the water and say, I am here, it's sort of like, why here? Like, what's going on right now? This would be so confusing. And it's so hard. And this is where the disciples get bashed on. Is like, it's hard to think rationally when you're exhausted. It's hard to think rationally when you're afraid. And that is the challenge as followers of Jesus is that there are always times that are scary. There are always times where we're going to be tired. 
there are a lot of things in the world right now where we need to hear this. We need to hear that Jesus is in this. Because if we can't recognize Jesus in the bad, how are we going to talk to a world that needs to see the good and the bad? It speaks to our politics. It speaks to how we raise our families. It speaks to everything. It's easy following God when times make sense. But the voice emerges and Jesus says, don't be afraid, I am here. And for the disciples, this was big because in a literal translation, it says, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Which is an echo to the God of Exodus, the God that liberated them from Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. Jesus is saying, I am, do not be afraid. And if this wouldn't be a confidence booster, I don't know what would be. This would be like, whoa, this is a huge accusation. Like, the God that liberated us is here with us now. Uh, But the disciples uh, don't respond, but one does. Peter makes a response, and he says, if it is really you, ask me to come to you, walking on the water. Now, this is dangerous territory Peter's entering into. Because Peter's making an accusation of Jesus' identity. Uh, He's saying, Lord, if it is you. And this uh, makes uh, reference or similarities to Satan in uh, the wilderness when he says, Lord, uh, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. It is never good to question God's identity when the people were mocking Jesus and said, if you are the Son of God, get yourself down. Uh, uh, Peter is questioning Jesus' identity uh, he does something different. He also asks for a command. He doesn't give one. He doesn't tell Jesus what to do. He asks something of him. And this is the sort of mentality that we need to get to is that it's a faithful statement Peter's making here. He understands the evil and the problems that are surrounding him. And what he does is he doesn't ask to be taken and put on another boat. And if the boat is a picture of a church, that's important things go bad, it's not like, get me out of here. That's not what Peter asks. He doesn't ask Jesus to calm the water and the wind, even though he knows Jesus can do that. He doesn't ask Jesus just to help them get to the land already, but he asks him to let him come to him. And that's a faithful statement that Peter has no business walking on water. That is only something meant for God, especially because it's such a force of evil. But more than what makes sense, Peter just wants to be with Jesus. And that's what we need to get to, is that regardless of life, regardless of whether we're in a storm, our position should always be, how do I get to Jesus? Because I don't know what the answer will be, and that's not what Peter is trying to find. He's not trying to find an answer. He's trying to find Jesus. Because we know now that Jesus is the answer to everything, but Peter doesn't. So Peter went over the... So, well, Jesus said, yes, come. He allowed Peter to come to him. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. See, and this is the moment where Peter shows us as believers how quickly we can jump between faith and doubt how quickly we can see God in the midst of it and be like, Lord, call me out to you. But then you see the reality of everything you're facing and like, 
I don't actually know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if this makes sense. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I believe enough to walk to you in the midst of what's going on right now. And we can be found in Peter here. I certainly can. God calling me out to something and I'm like, do you see everything that's around? I thought I could do it, but man, I I really don't know if I can. And that's what fear does when we call out from our fear. For Peter, the wind and the waves are literal. For the early church, it was persecution and the fear of death. For our church, it's probably finances at the moment. That's feeling like it's causing us to sink. But what is, what is causing you to sink? What is your wind and your waves? What is causing you to be able to shift your attention from Jesus and be like, this is too much? Because it's, imp- it's important to acknowledge and it's not wrong to say, God, I'm, I'm filled with doubt. The only way we can get through this is to talk and to acknowledge where we're at. Because God, you're big, but maybe your past tells you you can't do this. God, you're powerful, but the darkness in my mind is overwhelming. God, you're forgiving, but I've been away from you for so long. God, you're loving, but I've been rejected too many times. God, you're a miracle worker, but these needs are far too great. God, you keep your promises, but this world is so broken. What is your wind and your waves? What is causing you to sink? For me this year, it was so much, it was two things. It was first my knee because... Uh, God called me into a year of where I serve people and then when the uh, doctor said I wasn't going to walk for six weeks and then also my knee would never be the same again, I was like, sounds like it's going to make that call difficult. Um, what am I going to do for six weeks when I have no family to drive me around places and everything was in uncertainty? It's like, God, it doesn't feel like you're here. Um, and it was also, uh, to get a bit open and real, it was also my dad. Um, I've really tried this year to reconnect with my dad. Uh, We haven't seen each other in a long time. Uh, Had a troubling time with him in my childhood, to say the least, and uh, found out recently that my dad got married and has a new uh, kid, and I have a sister, and um, I've been emailing my dad constantly and constantly trying to reach out to him, but nothing back. And for me, that was a causing me a sin, because it's like, God, the person who's supposed to love me doesn't. So what does this mean for my life and how I'm supposed to love others if the person that's supposed to love me, who's supposed to not have a choice, doesn't? Um, And that was causing me to sink. And the thing is, I love Peter's response here because Peter's in a state of desperation when he begins to sink. There's no song that Peter's singing in this moment. There's no prayer that he wants to pray. There is no devotion he wants to read. No podcast he wants to listen to, but it's a cry of desperation. He says, Lord, save me. But think about the panic that's in that statement. You are drowning. And and it's dark. It is really dark. So you are screaming for Lord to save you. That sounds desperate and it sounds like ugly. But when we're in this position, when we are surrounded by wind and waves, when we are drowning, sometimes that's what we need to say. We need to strip it back and say, God, save me from myself, from the, th- like the thoughts and the things that are around me. So Peter shows us the perfect response, and I'm glad Peter goes through this. So I literally, I know how to respond. 
is that it's not embarrassing just to shout out, God, save me right now. I don't know what to say. Just save me from this, please. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt me? And see, even though our faith can be so little and we are so unworthy, he'll pick us up. Jesus doesn't look down on us. He looks in us and through us and sees what we can be. Jesus doesn't have any problem picking up Peter when he needs saving. And if you feel like you're drowning, you're probably following God. (laughs) But you need to learn how to say, save me. That's the important bit that we struggle with. We'll go to church each Sunday. We'll press through. We'll go to band practice maybe if we're talented in that way. I'm not at all. But we struggle to say that it's Lord save me part. Because what should be going wrong within me where I need saving again? What is wrong in my life that it's causing me to drown? And that's what people sometimes can look at when you're not going well. They're like, well, what are you doing? Like, what's going on in your life? You know? So it's a humbling, a very humbling thing to say, Lord, save me. The scripture then says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, then the disciples worshipped him, saying, you really are the Son of God. And this is why the storm is important. This is why Jesus walking out into the middle of your situation and picking you up from what you're going through matters is because when something that bad happens when God has called you into something and everything is just going to hell quite literally sometimes for people truly the disciples worshipped and said you really are the son of God if you can get through what you're going through right now and get to the other side or just get to safety you'll be like surely only God could have done this for our church it's like Right now, if God can not only sustain us, but get to the vision that he's placed in Tara's heart, only God could do that. God doesn't just give this, I will sustain you. He gives more. And that's the amazing thing. For me, it was, I was raised more by South Park than I was by parents. Which, if you ever wondered why I'm uh, sarcastic and cynical, it comes a lot from that. Um, And God didn't only take me from this kid who hated himself and hated everything around him, but he took me to a place where I don't, I don't, I'm not just better, but the world that I see can be better. The impact I can have on those around me and in this world is different. God doesn't just say, you'll be okay. He says, there's more now. The hope isn't just, you'll be okay. Sorry, I need to get a tissue. I think I'm the first preacher to not get water, but it's true. It's amazing. Um, the Christians that were getting persecuted was an amazing thing. Like, not amazing that it was happening, but God took people from getting persecuted and they still loved their enemies. They still served their neighbors. Only God could do something like that. Not in just where you respond averagely and you're like, I just won't do anything, but you'll do more than what is it happening around you. The bigger the storm, the bigger testament of who God is. 
because in easy moments in life, you don't, it doesn't always seem like you need God to get through it. But when it's a storm like this, surrounded by evil and no way out, and you're like, I got through that? Only God could do that. And that's what's important in this story. Is that being a Christian, God's calling you to the other side, not into the storm. But what I've learned in Christianity is that you're going you're gonna to get in some storms. Uh, for you to love your enemies and serve your enemies, you're going to go through some storms. Uh, that's just reality. To make the world as God is trying to make it to be, you're going to go through some storms because God's calling us to a world without suffering and people are hell-bent on making suffering happen. So if people aren't going to throw hell at you to try to make you, to try to stop you from creating heaven, it's just the difficulty of this. And right now, it feels like we're going through that as the church. We are trying to create a place where the community can be served practically and spiritually, and it seems like hell is being thrown at us. And as in considerations of staff being stepped down, it's a moment where you could be like, God, where are you right now? What is going on? This doesn't look like the opposite of just doing average. We're doing bad right now. But the amazing thing is, is that when we get to that place, when we get to seeing this vision that God has put in Tara fulfilled, we'll remember what we've been through and be like, only God could have got us through this. And what a foundation to start new from. You've been through a storm and you get on the other side and you're only God himself could have made it through this. The disciples worshipped saying, truly you are the son of God. This is the first time in Matthew they ever acknowledge his identity as the son of God. A God, no longer did they have to have a prophet or a leader who God had to open the seas of evil for them. But now we have a Messiah walking over evil itself. Which is, sorry, I'm getting another tissue. I'm having a cold, so this is like really awful right now. This is really weird, sorry. <laughs> um, and that's Jesus' identity ultimately revealed right now. Is that Moses, as he stood in front of the Red Sea, God had to open it for them to go through. But as the church is going through a storm, Jesus doesn't need that. He can walk over evil and control it with his toes. The, the power that is with, being testified to right now is amazing. And not only can he walk over it, but he can call Peter out onto it. So if Jesus can call Peter out onto ultimate evil and get him to walk over it if he just keeps his eyes on him, then we can get through this. Whatever you're going through, you can get through this. Jesus doesn't settle the wind and the waves and then says, Peter, come to me. I wish he would. I really wish he would. But the water and waves and everything going on, Jesus is like, just come now. Because there's something in our brokenness where God speaks so much louder. It makes it so much clearer. That Peter has to go through a whole lot of embarrassing and ugly things to understand who God is. I always reflect on my past and I'm like, I don't know if I wish I had a better way, but all I know is that 
because of my brokenness, I got to understand in a beautiful way who Jesus is. That if I have a father that loves me unconditionally, that I need that. It makes sense to me because of the brokenness I received through my childhood. And I could see the goodness of God because of that. So I'm not saying what happened in my life was because of God. But I am saying that I got to see God in a beautiful way because of what did happen. And so I'm thankful for what I've been through because it makes me so much more just astounded by who Jesus is. That it's hard to say that when you're drowning, but when God picks you up and puts you back in the boat and makes and gets you to safety, you're like, only you could have done that, Jesus. Only you could have done that. If I could get the band up, that would be sweet. And the good news is also this. When we get through it personally, when we get through it corporately as a church, when we get to the other side as the disciples did, ministry happens. And what I do know is that we are in a storm right now and we are in moments where we feel like we're sinking, but we are going to be in a place where we can serve the community, our families and our friends in ways that we haven't seen before. The result of going through storms is not that you look to the storm and say right now that God is just good because he took me out of the water and put me in the boat to safety, but he gets you to the other side where you can serve and minister to people. This is about the church going through something to get somewhere. And this church is going through something right now, but if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we're going to get somewhere. And... I love God because he has this weird sense of just giving you this huge vision in times that just make no sense for it to be given. Uh, Not only will Jesus die on the cross for our sins uh, of the world, but he'll raise up again and bring you life. That doesn't make sense. Uh, The hope that John uh, reveals in Revelation, not only will you stop being persecuted, but there will be no suffering one day there will be no mourning or no tears there will be no evil that doesn't make sense do you see what's happening around us Jesus the hope for this church not only will we make do but we will get to a place where we are serving the community in ways we know God has called us to God do you see our budget right now the hope for you that you don't have to do this alone We have disciples around us. We have brothers and sisters. You have Jesus. Don't ever let evil trick you into thinking you're drowning alone. Drown is anonymous. Like, (laughs) you know? We need to get to a place where we say, Lord, save us. When things don't make sense, when it feels like everything is too much, Lord, save us. When something else happens in the world where it's like, God, we need some goodness right now. Lord, save us.
Lord, when we're drowning, when we're sinking, when everything is too much, and when it seems like you won't pick us up from this, Lord, save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from the lack. Save us from everything that doesn't look like you. May we learn to seek you out always in the good, in the bad, in the everything. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the opportunity of being saved. If I could get you guys to stand. We just want to open this space up for prayer, for ministry if you need it. If you feel like you're sinking, if you feel like everything around you is a bit too much, then we'll pray for you. We'll pray that God would meet you where you're at and He would pull you out. So if that's you, if you'd like to come down to the front, we're opening this space up for some ministry time. So if you'd like prayer, then I'd be happy to pray with you. If we could go into a song, that'd be great. city so fearful of drowning in a system without thinking of the reality of what's going on for so many of us and one of my heroes um, I got to spend some time with over a month ago and Walter Brueggemann said sometimes we can confess our sins but not confess this, the fear that underlies those sins and I want in this space now to confess our fears our fears of opening up our fears of opening to the Holy Spirit and what God is doing in this place our our fears that our hearts will break under the reality of what we're personally going through, what our society is going through, what our world is going through. And I want us to be able to confess those things and stand with each other as testimonies that our hearts will break and we need not fear that that makes room for God's power. And that in our weakness, God's power has room to move. So to confess our weakness in such ways that we own our fear and let down our guards. And I want to thank you, brother, for the symbol, living symbol of that, that you are for us. And as we gather around the table now, we remember that this meal, we've seen evidence of its power. Not in merely what James shared, but who James is and that if you are here this morning 
feeling overwhelmed that life is stacked in the direction that isn't blessing but looks more like curses. We stand here today with each other as living signs, but that's a perfect situation for Jesus to show up in those kind of storms. So this morning, we're going to confess the fears. The fears that are deeper than the way our sin expresses itself. And so before coming around the table and remembering that this is a meal of the Passover that we were commanded to celebrate before we were taken out of captivity, out of slavery, that we were commanded to celebrate this right before God was going to act, that stepping forward in our fear, confessing those fears and coming and taking part in this meal is saying yes to God is about to act for salvation, for deliverance, for liberation. And that lament is not to be suppressed, it is to be expressed as faith at this table where we say come and take the grief of my life, of our city, of our nation and our world and turn it by your grace into the power of your liberation. Come and take us a situation of captivity and make it a story of your salvation. So church, as we're standing, let's confess our fears. I invite you to repeat after us. Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you. In thought, in word, and in deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbour. We have not loved the stranger and we have not loved our enemies. As Christ first loved us, we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. And for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. James, I'm actually going to ask if you would lead us around the table. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus, and you who have just decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary and go and be a forgiver. Then run back. 
because it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter Him here. So come. Church, we're just going to close now. Just trust that you sense the Spirit in this place and how He's ministering. And I just want to leave the altar call open. If that, if you didn't get an opportunity to get prayer, I ask you to come out the front. We're going to close formally, but we're going to leave this space open. I'm going to hang around if. You need someone to pray with you. We've um, got some morning tea on out in the foyer. And don't forget, if you've written down a pledge card, if you want to pop that in the box for us. So help us out with that. But let's read this together, church. This is our benediction. This is who we are. This is us about coming to God and being transformed for Him and then being sent out into the world to... Do what He has called us to. Church, we have come as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place, the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out over us. He exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, Oaks of Integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild this city in his unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast good news for the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace, that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's mercy, uh, freedom of mercy. And all of God's people said, Amen. Be blessed, church.